Remember, we're going to continue to worship this morning by um, reading Scripture. And uh, the Scripture hopefully will come up on the screen. And um, we're in John uh, 15 uh, this morning. Um, so John 15, I'm going to read the first uh, 17 verses, I think. It's a, it's a long one, but it's a beautiful passage. Um, it goes like this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes, and that it will be even, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you, remain, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you can keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. My command is is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Such a rich passage. Yes, indeed, may God add a blessing to the hearing and the doing of the word. Such a rich passage, this that we're looking at this morning. And uh, it's, of course, also a mothering Sunday today. We're in this series, Encounters with Jesus, right up to Easter. It's Lent, but it's also today Mothering Sunday, um, a Sunday when we uh, remember the love of mothers and mother figures in our lives. And so I want to bring a little short, simple reflection from this passage um, on the love of God this morning. Um, as I say, we're, we're in Lent, and um, the season of Lent, we've been speaking about this um, as, uh, as a season that's quite unique this year because Lent intersects with our lives in a very unique and meaningful way this year as a church family. Um, but the prayer we've had on our lips has been that Lent this year, this season, and God in this season would prepare us and prepare our hearts so that life might spring forth in us, that the the fertile ground of our, that the ground of our hearts would be made fertile for life to spring forth. So we're in this journey of 40 days that's marking 
and indeed reflecting upon the central meaning of our faith, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we trust um, in the God of love who meets us in the struggle and the fight. As we draw close to Christ in this season, we find solidarity in him to grieve, to repent, to refocus. And as we strange, strangely as we do that, we find that our hearts can be prepared for that life of healing and freedom and, and indeed life to flow out of us. Death that leads to resurrection life. And so this is, this is the gospel. This is the good news that God in Christ is, is remaking the world around this axis of love. And so in this season of Lent, we're preparing our hearts that the love of God, the life of God would flow, would flow out of us. In this passage I've been reading in John 15 today, um, this encounter with Jesus on the road to Easter, this is Jesus at the table. In fact, it's his last meal, and he's sitting with his disciples at the, at the Last Supper. And it's part of this passage in John called the Last Supper Discourse. Um, uh, such a rich um, passage. And he's talking to his disciples, and he's trying to teach them about the nature of the relationship that they have with him and how that is based upon his relationship with his father God. And he's trying to teach them that. And he uses this metaphor of, of vines. And he describes himself as the true vine. We know Jesus has been on this mission to bring the kingdom of God to earth and reveal himself as, the, as, as God incarnate, as, as the divine son of God, as, and as the one who is the perfect revelation of God and the Messiah that Israel had been hoping for. And he uses this language of gardening of the vine and describing himself as the true vine. And Jesus gives us, it's a metaphor, it's a beautiful metaphor of, of his followers, of his disciples, of, of those who are in him being grafted into him. And he being the true vine, these vines being grafted into the true vine. And in a sense, it might be a strange metaphor, but it is a a beautiful one. Um, it may feel strange to our modern ears as we read that, or, or perhaps those of us who don't have green fingers and aren't, aren't gardeners or aren't, um, yeah, aren't those that uh, just know how to, how to garden. He was, he was speaking in gardening language. He was speaking about vines growing. Um, but to the, to the listeners at the, at the table, to his disciples, to those listening on, they would have seen this and understood this metaphor. It was a really accessible idea. I am not one of those green-fingered people. <laughs> I'm not one of those gardeners at all. I wouldn't call myself a gardener by any stretch. I need the help of my, my parents-in-law to advise me and help me when it comes to planting the right thing. I would plant the wrong thing or I would be cut down the wrong the wrong thing or make a mess in the garden and I, I need the, the wisdom and the advice and the experience of my, of my parents-in-law here, great um, gardeners and have, have green fingers, they would say, to, to guide me in how to help a garden grow and flourish. That's the thing about uh, gardens. Um, it's the kind of language that Jesus uses is often gardening language, farming language. Gardens are really different things to <clears throat> the likes of factories. They're really different things to the likes of, uh, yeah, factories. Industrial language is not the same as organic gardening language, farming language, because gardens are places um, of slow, seasonal, and organic growth. They're not necessarily all about maximizing efficiency or, or productivity. They're about 
paying attention to the seasons and letting things grow organically. And it's gardening language and these rich metaphors that Jesus uses and draws upon when he's speaking about our relationship with him, our relationship with God. And he speaks of us living our lives attached to him, where we move from being separate from Jesus um, to becoming so close to Jesus that we, we can't actually tell where one person ends and where Jesus begins. There's, the, there's this intricate connection uh, and this intimate connection as well, this, this connection of us being in Christ, connected to Christ. And it's an amazing image, as I say, of our connection, of our communion, of our relationship with, with Christ. It's about this reciprocal an active relationship. In fact, Jesus uses the language of friendship. He, he calls us friends. He calls those who follow him friends, which is an amazing thing that we have this, as followers of Christ, we have a friendship with Christ, that Jesus is our brother, and we have this friendship with Christ who is the divine. And, and it's from this place of connection, of relationship, of friendship, with Jesus. Then Jesus goes on to talk about love. And he talks about this call on his disciples and his followers to give their lives to living these, these lives of love, to love him and, and to love one another just as the Father had loved Jesus. So we are called to love others. That is the model that Jesus was teaching his disciples all about. Around that table at, at the Last Supper that night, he was teaching them about his relationship with the Father, how the Father had loved him. And so he calls his disciples to, to love one another just in the same way. Beautiful imagery. The New Testament word that the, the, the writers uh, chose, the Greek word, in fact, in the New Testament to, to, to try to capture and accommodate the breadth of, of the meaning of love is, is this Greek word agape. And, and the word agape, it's not just a... It doesn't mean um, feelings or mood. Um, it doesn't describe love in that way. It's, it's a lot more self-giving. Um, it's, it's a love that is given with no expectation of any return or profit or benefit. In fact, agape is the love that God shows us. And so it is this utterly perfect love. And it's this agape love that we see when we see the death of Christ, and we'll explore that later as we come to the table, um, it's the kind of love that Jesus expects his disciples to have because it's the same love they have received. Uh, this self-sacrificial, self-giving love that flows out of relationship with Jesus. So firstly today on this on this Mothering Sunday and in this Lenten season, we should know that we are loved by God. It's a simple but beautiful truth that we are beloved, that we are, his, that we are his children and that we are his beloved and that we have been grafted into God's family and grafted into the family of God so that we can bear fruit. This, this um, language of gardening, this, this bearing of fruit, that's what vines do after all. They bear fruit and that is the calling of us as the children of God. 
it just comes to me that so often I've heard people say, what is the vision of church? What's our vision? What's this vision? What's our vision? We need a vision. And I always uh, think it's sometimes uh, church vision statements can be, can be helpful. But ultimately, our, our, the vision uh, of, <clears throat> of the church is the vision of the Christian life is to be the people of love, to bear the fruit of love in our lives just as God has loved us so we respond by loving others. It is as simple as that. That's our call, to be, to be so connected and intimate to Jesus, to be grafted into him, the tree vine, that we bear the fruit of love in our lives that just resembles the grace and the sacrifice of Christ that reveals that kind of love to the world and to those around us. It is powerful and beautiful and simple and true. I've been thinking a little bit about um, it's Mothering Sunday today, as I've mentioned as well. And, as, and we, today we're reminded of, of the love that many of us have received from, from mothers or mother figures in our lives. It also comes in a week in which we've seen an International Women's Day, where we've seen around the world people celebrating the bravery and the fortitude and the creativity of women all over the world which is a beautiful thing. And also, Mothering Sunday comes in a week in which we've witnessed the horror of violence against women, particularly the tragedy of the death of Sarah Everard and the reminder that the world is not as it should be. That it is not as safe as it should be, at peace as it should be, that the love of God is not throughout this world, that there is much work to do to make it a place of safety and peace and love for all men, women, and children. This is the vision of the kingdom, to the kingdom of God come to earth to make this world and to bring peace, shalom, safety, refuge, home. And over the past three weeks, we've been reminded about the way that God works in the world that is the way of love. It's not the way that we've seen in the temptations of Christ, the way of power or domination or force. That is the way of the world. That is not the way of God. But love is the way of God. And this world needs love like never before. Love is the way. And as Christ followers, we're called to bear the fruit of love in our lives, to make this world a better place, to make this world a place of safety and peace and belonging, to bring the kingdom of God, to bear that fruit in our lives. And it all comes and starts with our connection to Christ, our connection to Jesus and the love that flows from there. I love this quote and I've used it quite a few times recently. I used it last week. And it speaks about the power of love. It's from Bishop Michael Curry. I want to read it this morning. It says this, Someone once said that Jesus began the most revolutionary movement in human history, a movement grounded in the unconditional love of God for the world, and a movement mandating people to live that love, and in so doing, to change not only their lives, but the very life of the world itself. I'm talking about power, real power, power to change the world. 
It's a beautiful and inspiring quote. And this one too I've been using as well from Dr. Martin Luther King, that we must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love. And when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world, for love is the only way. And surely that is the, the longing on our hearts that we would make of this world a, a new world, a world that is a world of peace, of safety, of flourishing, and of life. Love is the only way. It is the power to change hearts, to change the world. And it is the ultimate revelation of God on the cross in Christ, the manifest example of God's love, God's kindness, his self-giving, agape, self-sacrificial love for humanity, for you, for me, that we might come into the knowledge of that love and be set free delivered from the death that would keep us and hold us and bind us and be freed in his love to then go out into this world and love others. We enter deep into the mystery of the cross as we approach the table and in it we encounter the most perfect revelation of the love of God. The gardening language in Christ is the true vine is this beautiful metaphor but the supreme demonstration of the love of God is Christ on the cross and his sacrifice for the world. It is the refounding of the world around an axis of love. It is the enduring model that we should follow of co-suffering love. The world needs the love of God. It needs love. So on this Mothering Sunday, we're reminded that we are called to firstly remember that we are loved and also remember that we are invited into this relationship, this grafted into this relationship with Christ that calls us to bear fruit, causes us to bear fruit in the world and that fruit being the fruit of, of love. We're gonna come to the table and as we come to the table, we do that this week like we do every week, even during lockdown, we've been coming to the table of Jesus communion, the table of bread and wine, and we do it again this morning. So we're going to be approaching the table now. It's a really good time for you to get bread and wine or the substitutes that you may have ready. And on this uh, Mothering Sunday, we come to the table of bread and wine, and we are reminded of the maternal love of God. We're reminded of the tender and maternal love of God. The God who the psalmist says will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. This is mothering language. This is maternal language. As we come to the table, we remember the God who the psalm writer says calms and quiets our troubled souls like a winged child with its mother like a winged child, is the soul within me. Isaiah 66 says, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. We come to the table of grace and love today on Mothering Sunday, reminded that God is like a mother who comforts her child and he promises to comfort us in love. Perhaps the most moving use of maternal imagery is that 
imagery when Jesus is preparing to enter into Jerusalem and the Passion Week at the beginning of Holy Week. And he says these words of love, yearning and longing. He says, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. How tender, how touching, how, how divine this imagery of the love of God. The love of God today is what draws us to this table. And it's an invitation for all of us, an invitation for, for you and for me. No matter where we find ourselves today, whether we're spiritually at home in God, whether today we are spiritually adrift, the invitation is always there to come and to, to find rest for our souls, to find comfort, to find peace, and to find grace, to find forgiveness, to encounter the love of God in Christ and his great self-sacrificial love for us. This is the place where we are drawn into the love of God so we can be transformed to go out into the world and bear the fruit of the love of God. And of course, the bread and the wine, the wine, the blood of Christ, the bread, the body of Christ, speaking of Christ's death. And there is no greater revelation of the love of God than the cross of Jesus, his self-sacrificial love that destroyed death and delivers us from it, delivers us from it. I love the words of the Song of Solomon. Love is as strong as death. Passion fierces the grave. Many, wa many waters cannot quench love, nor can floods drown it out. Love cannot be drowned out this morning. Love, it cannot be quenched, and it lays a table for us. It invites us to come and feast. And so this morning we come as the beloved children of God, grafted into the family of God. We have this relationship, this connection, this friendship, this intimate connection with Christ. And we're reminded today of the grace that that is and the love of God for us. So let's come this morning and break bread together, albeit remotely, and drink wine to be again reminded of the power and the beauty of the love of God.